uh, Michael, we we just want to convey to the listeners exactly what happened to you on July 31st, 2019. So if you're able to just sort of walk us through what the hell happened uh, with as much details and color as possible. Okay. Uh, I was uh, on my way to work. I was working at Ferndale at the time. I was on my way to work, and I was uh, going past this uh, light, and I noticed that the uh, Ferndale police was behind me, and um, they got closer to my vehicle. They had uh, pulled me over, told me I was going a little bit over the speed limit. So they ran my name. They told me I had a felony warrant out for my arrest. They never told me what the case was. They just told me I had a felony warrant out for my arrest. Took me out to my vehicle, arrested me, put me in the back of the scout car. They transferred me to Ferndale Precinct. I was there for a few hours and they called Detroit to pick me up. Detroit came, picked me up and transferred me to my own detention facility. What was going on in your mind? Like, so you're driving there and you see the cops pull up behind and the next thing you know, they're saying, you, we want you for felony. I mean, I, I knew it was kind of like a, a misunderstanding because before the pullover, I had one that seen my probation officer. If, if I had a warrant out for my arrest, they would have arrested me then. So I kind of knew it was like a misunderstanding, but I knew like it was a like a emotion that I had to go through. I knew it was going to be some time took out for me to like, you know, beat the case. In that instant, what what happened to your car when they detained you? And what was that meeting like when they showed you this photo of someone who wasn't even you? My vehicle, they had impounded my vehicle. And, you know, I had to go through the court procedures. And once I did see the video or the picture of the person who did commit the crime, it kind of, you know, gave me a relief. I was, I was working, you know, going to work every day. I was paying bills. I was like a big help to my little circle, my little family that I got. You know, they was dependent on me. I was paying bills. I had a car note. I lost my job. I lost my car and I was behind on like rent for months. So it was really, it was really kind of hard for me. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer, audio editor, and host of multi-award winning social justice podcast, News Beat. That was our editor-in-chief, Chris, talking with Michael Oliver, a Detroit man wrongfully arrested by police for a crime he didn't commit because facial recognition software said he did. More from Michael and the catastrophic ramifications of his misidentification in a little bit. This episode kicks off our fourth season of shining much-needed light on a diverse range of people and topics all too often ignored by the mainstream media. And we're excited to announce that we'll be changing up the secret sauce a little bit. Definitely expect more full episodes featuring activists, academics, victims of injustice, and other guests, along with extraordinary performances from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. After all, we still describe our show as if Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. But we're also throwing together a few new concepts, and we think you're going to dig them, like the Newsbeat Cypher, 
where I'll be interviewing some of our artist friends and exploring the craft and the genre of hip-hop and how it's an always-evolving tool in the fight for social justice. Now, for those that remember our live stream series, we'll be back to kicking it live on the video tip as we've rebranded and reimagined This Week in Social Justice as Newsbeat Live. We'll be doing things like hosting roundtable discussions and dropping other audio-visual hybrid ideas probing the inner mechanics of injustices and inequalities. Now, this is pretty dope. We've also launched a Newsbeat podcast Substack newsletter. This is where you're going to find episode show notes, plus all kinds of other informative tidbits that we drop here and there between episodes. So subscribe to that for free at newsbeat.substack.com. Now, for this episode, Chris and Rashed delved deep into the inherent racism embedded within facial recognition technology, which is more and more being deployed within low-income communities of color and utilized by law enforcement and U.S. agencies to surveil, deter, and apprehend so-called criminals, yet has been falsely identifying innocent black people with disastrous consequences. We hear from two of those whose lives have been forever altered by erroneous computer-driven arrests, along with several people who've been trying to raise awareness and stop these flawed cyber terminators hardwired by Jim Crow. Among these, Michael Oliver. We also have Claire Garvey, Senior Associate with the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law. Andrew Ferguson, a law professor at the American University Washington College of Law, specializing in privacy, civil rights, and surveillance. We also have Phil Mayer, senior staff attorney at ACLU Michigan, who's representing another misidentified victim, Robert Williams. And David Robinson, an attorney and former Detroit police officer representing Michael Oliver in his quest for justice for his wrongful misidentification and arrest. Now, you'll also hear from our artist in residence, Silent Night, delivering compelling lyrical exclamation points that help illuminate this horrifying and ever-growing trend. All right, here it is. This is Racist AI, Facial Recognition and Wrongful Arrests. So imagine you are at a protest and you are demonstrating in support of your political candidate of choice and that is, for whatever reason, unpopular with the police or with whoever else. Law enforcement, yes, can take photos of you at that protest. They can take videos of you at that protest. What they can't do is they can't walk through that protest and somehow secretly identify everybody, pickpocket them and look at their driver's license and determine who they are and where they live and whether they have any priors. They can't use that information to determine who's leading the protest, who's talking to whom, and maybe also they can't use some sort of system to track where these individuals go. Where do you go after the protest? Do you go home? Do you go to a bar? Do you go to somebody's house? Face recognition in theory makes all this possible. The ability to connect biometric identification to the back end of surveillance cameras makes it possible to not only identify everybody at a protest or at other some other demonstration, but to also track somebody's movements across time and space. This morning, we are hearing from a city council member who wants answers after finding out facial recognition technology banned by the city was used by some Pittsburgh police officers during a Black Lives Matter protest. The United Nations says police forces around the world should stop using facial recognition technology on people attending peaceful protests. Technology like the system that you can see here 
scans faces in a crowd and matches them with identities stored on a database. The police forces say it helps them spot wanted criminals, but the UN has other concerns. Face recognition is a unique technology in a couple of ways. The first and main way is that it enables remote biometric surveillance. This is something that's never been possible before. The ability to monitor people's identities and whereabouts and associations using where their face shows up on camera. Law enforcement or proponents of face recognition like to say, this is not a problem, we've always been able to monitor or take videos and, and photographs at protests. And so face recognition falls into this gray area where it very much may start impacting our right to privacy, our right to free speech and free association under the First Amendment in ways that we really have not contemplated before. This is something that's never been never possible, been before. possible before. Another unique feature of face recognition is how widespread it can be adopted and how immediate it can be adopted thanks to the fact that most Americans are in a face database. Uh, think of driver's license photos, passport photos, visas, mugshots. Chances are better than not that these photos have now been turned into biometric templates. They are now able to be searched using an algorithm. The United Nations says the technology could violate demonstrators' rights to peaceful assembly and deter people from exercising their democratic right to protest. Most recently, the issue came up in the US too, in huge wave of protests following the death of George Floyd. Several tech companies, including Microsoft and IBM, said they would stop selling facial recognition systems to police forces as intense scrutiny fell on policing methods across the board. Primarily the way police are using it now in America is they are doing essentially face matching. They'll have a photo from uh, a video or an iPhone camera from a witness on the scene. They'll have that image and they'll want to match it with a database of images that they might have. There's also, of course, the fear that that technology could be used uh, in surveillance cameras in real time. Police uh, are not doing that yet, but the capability actually does exist. So there are many problems with facial recognition and race. Uh, the first is that the technology itself was normed on white men. Most of the data sets that were created that sort of trained the algorithms to match were white men. And so when applied to white men, the technology does pretty well. Unfortunately, when applied to almost everyone else, it does pretty poorly. One thing we have to talk about is the racial implications and the socioeconomic implications of the use of this technology. Face recognition risks disproportionately impacting black and brown communities and poor communities in the U.S. Face recognition as a tool of essentially surveillance, but as a tool of, of monitoring behavior will disproportionately be used in low-income communities and communities of color. Mugshot databases or booking photo databases represent people who've had interaction with law enforcement. These databases will overwhelmingly be composed of young black men, quite simply because of how policing has historically and is currently done in the U.S. Young black men are vastly disproportionately arrested relative to their proportion of the population. One thing we have to talk about is the racial implications. 
researchers at MIT, uh, Joy Boom Weenie, and her compatriots, the Algorithmic Justice League, have shown that the problem with police using technology against anyone other than white, pale males is that there is a real risk of misidentification. I'm an algorithmic bias researcher based at MIT, and I've conducted studies that show some of the largest recorded racial and skin type biases in AI systems sold by companies like IBM, Microsoft, and Amazon. You've already heard facial recognition and related technologies have some flaws. In one test I ran, Amazon recognition even failed on the face of Oprah Winfrey labeling her male. Personally, I've had to resort to literally wearing a white mask to have my face detected by some of this technology. Now, given the use of this technology for mass surveillance, not having my face detected could be seen as a benefit. But besides being employed for dispensing toilet paper, in China, the technology is being used to track Uyghur Muslim minorities. Beyond being abused, there are many ways for this technology to fail. Among the most pressing are misidentifications that can lead to false arrest and accusations. Just last month in Rhode Island, a Brown University senior preparing for finals was misidentified as a terrorist suspect in the Sri Lanka Easter bombings. Misidentifications that can lead to false arrest and accusations. And then you take that sort of technology that is filled with errors and bias, and you apply it in the real world to a policing system that is also filled with errors and bias. And you you know, couple a broken or a problematic technology with a broken and problematic policing system in America, and you're just asking for trouble. You're asking for uh, injustice. You're asking for mistaken identifications like we've already seen in at least three cases in America so far in the last year. After police responded to reports of a theft at a Hampton Inn in Woodbridge, New Jersey, the suspect drove away, hitting a police car, and police claim almost running over an officer. Using cutting-edge facial recognition technology, police quickly arrested Niger Parks, a 31-year-old Patterson resident. The only problem? Niger Parks was innocent. Michael Oliver is at least the second person DPD wrongly arrested due to a facial recognition misidentification. And now that mistake could end up costing taxpayers. I didn't commit this crime, so why am I going through this? Chief Craig is weighing in on the botched case of Robert Williams and the use of facial recognition technology moving forward. Yeah, yesterday, local Ford defender Sean Lay brought us the story of Williams, who was arrested in his driveway in front of his own family for a crime he didn't commit. That was a case in which officers used facial recognition technology to come up with their suspect. Give me a pixelated paradise rather than stick me with these camera guys. Ops got photo ops to crop you and not bat an eye. When you collateral, they gladly do a sacrifice. Green light, now everybody kill us like we land of flies. On site, onslaught, that's been the pattern. Now you're coming up with new ways to be racist. I got a hand that I'm impressed. I'm in depressed. And past the point of panic, gotta keep a detailed diary in case we need an alibi. That's 24-7 and 365. Then leap year get caught slipping and brought in on some lie. Ah, it's exhausting. Not foreign but artificial. It's the same issues from privilege they won't admit to. They can't pickpocket your wallet, but golly, they can scan you. Human barcodes, no ethics, the new scandals. They got to control C keys we can't cancel. Jim Crow embedded in code. Now what's the plan, huh? Robert Williams was arrested uh, on his front lawn 
in front of his wife and children because of a, uh, a false facial recognition check. Essentially what happened is there was a theft from a, from a fancy watch store in downtown Detroit. The Detroit Police Department ran a facial recognition scan using a still shot from the surveillance footage in the watch store. That match was forwarded by the Michigan State Police to the Detroit Police Department on a sheet of paper that said, not to be used as probable cause. At that time, no. I didn't know that they used any type of facial recognition or anything like that. Until uh, talking with the detectives who showed me that, that that's what they used to, to apprehend me, if that's the right word. This is just supposed to be an investigative lead. And it turns out that what happened is the detective in charge of the investigation conducted a, quote, further investigation by going to a security guard who was not even present at the time of the alleged theft and asking that security guard to do a, a lineup based on six photos, one of which was Mr. Williamson. It was, uh, there were pictures of five other black men. The security guard, who had done nothing other than review the same grainy uh, footage that was used in the facial recognition check, picked out Mr. Williams. And, and based on that, the Detroit Police Department went to the Wayne County prosecutor, who authorized a warrant and persuaded a, a magistrate judge to issue a warrant without disclosing to that magistrate judge any of the defects of facial recognition technology, without disclosing the racially disparate effect that facial recognition technology has, without disclosing its, its poor performance in identifying faces of color, and without disclosing key facts about the shoddy investigation that had been conducted. Based on that alone, uh, Detroit police went to the, the suburb, uh, Farmington Hills, where Mr. Williams resides. First, they called him on the phone. So then my line clicks, I click over, I'm like, hello, the guy's talking like he knows me, he's Robert. And I'm like, who is this? You need to come down and turn yourself in. Who is this? The officer somebody from the third precinct and I need to turn myself in for what? He's like, I can't tell you that. I'm like, then I can't come down. Well, if you come down, it'll be much easier on you. You don't want us to come out to your job, do you? At this point, I think it's a prank call. So I'm like, look, man, if you want me, come get me, I'll be at home. Bring a warrant and I hang up on him. Detroit police pulled up, sped into his driveway, cutting off the, the back of his truck as if he was a, a villain who was gonna try to flee in his car. I pull in the driveway here, pull up in my regular spot, hop out. By the time I close the door, the car is in the driveway blocking me in. He couldn't even enter his home on his front lawn. They, they handcuffed him. Initially, didn't want to show him the, the warrant. He, he insisted and, and was ultimately shown a warrant, which accused him of felony larceny. I did commit this crime, so why am I going through this? The next day, around noon, Mr. Williams was taken into uh, an interrogation room by two Detroit police officers who told him that they could only talk to him and explain to him the charges against him if he waived his right to an attorney present. Uh, Mr. Williams, eager to understand why he had been held overnight in this filthy cell and forced to sleep on concrete, signed away his, his right. He agreed to give a statement, even though he didn't know what he was giving a statement about. They had three sheets of paper in front of them. And then it was like, would you like to make a statement? And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Guy says, if you don't 
sign off saying that you want to make a statement, we can't give you any information. So I signed to say I'm going to make a statement. He laid the papers out on the table. And at that time, I was still guilty in their eyes. And the officers turned over the first sheet of paper, which, which showed a large black man who did not particularly look like Mr. Williams, other than being a, another uh, large framed black man, and said, is this you? And, and he said, no. <laughs> and then they turned over a, a second sheet of paper containing the, the still shot uh, that they had used in the facial recognition check from, from the Shinola store and said, I suppose you're going to tell us this isn't you either. Mr. Williams, uh, who had a presence of mind that I don't think I would have had under the circumstances, picks up that sheet of paper, holds it up next to his face, and says, This is not me. Like, I hope y'all don't think all black people look alike. And then he says, The computer says it's you. They then proceed to turn over the third sheet of paper, which is the sheet of paper identifying Mr. Williams as a match to that still that, again, says not to be used as a basis for arrest on it. And they look at each other and they look a little confused and surprised. And they say, well, we guess the computer got it wrong. So why am I going through this? The computer says it's you. David Robinson is a former Detroit police officer turned attorney who plans to file suit on behalf of Michael next week, alleging violations of his civil rights. We're talking in Michael's case and in Robert's case, a loss of freedom. If you can imagine facial recognition in this technology, you know, going to uh, applications on the street in real time circumstances where it feeds into uh, images at the scene of a traffic stop. And John Law pulls over a citizen and believes uh, based on this flawed technology that he has you know, some real desperado. It literally could lead to a greater um, deprivation than freedom. It could lead to a deprivation of life. If we're talking in those terms, uh, clearly, I think it is imperative uh, that the court understand that when we ask for this type of declaratory relief, the consequences are grave enough, potentially, uh, that the court should exercise, you know, its judgment in, in support of, of uh, life. In our lawsuit, we're going to be asking that uh, the court um, give some declaratory relief or injunctive relief in as much as it's pretty well established that facial recognition is critically flawed in relationship to its employment, particularly in law enforcement instances uh, against uh, black and brown people. And uh, until it becomes, and I'm going to go so far as to say perfect, uh, it should not be used in any law enforcement context. In 2019, I wrote a report called Garbage In, Garbage Out essentially summarizing this idea that the, the accuracy of a system is in large part determined on what you put in it. Bad data on the outset will give you bad results. That should hopefully not be a very controversial or very, very hard to understand concept, and yet what we see in law enforcement 
agency's use of the technology is that there's this assumption that it works in a much better or maybe more magical way than it actually does. For instance, in researching the use of this technology by law enforcement agencies across the country using FOIA requests, in the public records we've received from agencies, we've seen at least six agencies that allow or actually actively encourage their officers to submit forensic sketches into their system. Now the forensic sketch is an artist's rendering of what an eyewitness recalls somebody's face to look like. There are a lot of degrees of separation between what somebody's biometric looks like and what an artist interprets a witness's description of a face to be. Not going to be a reliable source of identity evidence, and yet at least half a dozen agencies do allow, if not encourage, their officers to input these into face recognition. Despite studies showing that this overwhelmingly will fail, and will lead to the possibility of misidentification. In addition to forensic sketches, we also found that photo editing is not uncommon. The use of Photoshop to alter the images being put into a face recognition system to try to make them sort of in quotes more optimal or better for the algorithm to read, basically to normalize them to make them look a little bit more like a mugshot. Reasonable suspicion is just that you in the system And the number of us in it is pretty freaking significant But psh, let them deliver it Deliberately twist it They'll be like, it's not half, it's just 2.5 fifths You see the way they see it? Flashing lights, searching seizures Machinery just running on white human ideas Is that the future that we're left with? For children to inherit? Stop and frisk on a floppy disk That's what we're giving merit Dirty day to day to day that they tried it again with laser Dropping with this invader The problem with Occam's razor Eavesdrop on annoy your neighbors Population in danger Say we all look the same And they got a robot to blame it on Ain't it all just the same old song remix Throw some auto-tune on that shit Make the beat switch Yeah, that would be sick right? Just take a seat and ease in everything prefix just let go and let the algorithm predict i wrote a book called the rise of a data policing that looked at how technology was changing who police are targeting where they patrol how they investigate and really changing the power relationship between police and the citizens uh, they work for what it showed was that the distortion of technology uh, was intertwined with race, because policing is intertwined with race, that it was intertwined with some of the problems we've seen with new technologies, including a lack of transparency, no accountability, no testing. And it was overlaid on an old-fashioned legal system, right? I teach law. Our law was, you know, written in a pre-digital age. It's trying to catch up, but it hasn't caught up. And so all of these distortions are in it. So like the theme of the book is that all big data policing has a black data problem. Black data in that it really impacts race and how we think about policing and race in America. Black data in that it's a black box. It's not transparent. It's opaque and we can't really uh, see through it or understand it and thus we can't and shouldn't trust it. And black because it's distorting to our law and our fundamental freedoms of uh, civil rights and civil liberties. And where the Fourth Amendment goes or where the First Amendment goes is going to be bound up in the fact that police and policing is now being driven by data. And that data is infected with all the biases and problems that are us uh, because data is just us in binary code. The rise of big data policing has two funding sources. The first is actually the federal government. 
most of the pilot projects that sort of started somewhere have some federal tie to a pilot project. It was sort of like free money to test these things out. Uh, and so you see that. The other big funding push is through private technology companies. Private technologies are seeing that governments will pay for different kinds of surveillance. Maybe it's kind of a surveillance database, kind of like a social network analysis, something like Palantir, uh, which is a big company now, sells to LAPD, which is essentially trying to take the different pieces of information that exist in L.A. and put them together in a usable way. Police in Los Angeles are trying to predict the future. We know where crime happened yesterday, but where is it going to happen tomorrow and the next day? The algorithm is always going to augment the system that it's in. And if the system itself is biased, is unjust, then the algorithm is going to replicate that. So they might be collecting information about people who are involved in criminal activity, uh, the kind of cars they drive, who their friends are, who their girlfriend is, where they're living now. And as they kind of collect this data, it can be very useful. If there's a crime that happens, they want to go figure out, all right, there's a body that dropped on this corner. Who do we know lives in this corner? Let's go run the numbers and see what people who what gang members live in this address or, uh, you know, who else has been arrested in this area. And so it becomes a very uh, powerful technology. Face recognition may seem like an issue that only affects people who, I don't know, commit crimes or who live in low income areas. I am here to also tell you that that's not correct. Face recognition systems used by law enforcement actually now include a majority of American adults. Over 50% of all American adults are in a face recognition database used by police thanks to getting a driver's license or a passport. Most of us don't think that we're being enrolled in a biometric database used for criminal investigations from everything from the most minor crime like the theft of a pair of socks to murder or organized crime. And yet that is increasingly the world we live in. And very few states actually have any meaningful restrictions to prevent that happening. We know it happens in at least 31 states. It could happen in any one of 45 states, thanks to the very, very vanishingly few restrictions that actually exist against this type of practice. So if you think that this is not your problem, I would encourage you to think again. Chances are better than not that you are in a face recognition database. If you have a passport, congratulations, the FBI can access your photo for investigative purposes. Also, I would think through what is the relationship between policing and society? And do you really want to live in a world where we are comfortable using an unproven technology, a technology that we know makes mistakes, on predominantly poor and black and brown communities in a way that puts them at risk of misidentification or taking plea deals to crimes they didn't commit or taking plea deals just quite simply because they don't have the time or resources to fight their case adequately in court? Is that the type of, of system we want to live in? Does that sound like democracy to you? Those are the questions that face recognition raises. It's being deployed within a very politically confused, I think many would say broken, criminal legal system. And it's seeking to exacerbate the harms and the risks of that system as opposed to ameliorate them. We have a, a moment here 
at the relative dawn of this technology to say enough, not, not in our name, not to watch us. Let's spend our resources supporting and developing our communities rather than surveilling them. And if anybody thinks that it's stopping now with, with the states that, that currently do it and the communities that currently do it, if we don't lay a strong marker and say, we do not wish to be watched everywhere we go, identified everywhere we go, evaluated everywhere we go, then again, it's going to be very difficult to turn back later. Mr. Williams and his family have, have really been quite traumatized by this incident. Again, this arrest happened on his front lawn as his daughters, who were then two and five, looked on. Uh, it was their first encounter with the police. When Mr. Williams came home after 30 hours in jail, he found a picture that had been waiting to be hung up of the family in the living room had been turned around. And, and his daughter told him and his wife that she turned it around because it made her too sad to, to look at daddy while he was in jail. The girls started playing uh, games after his arrest in, in which they would play sort of like a cops and robbers type game. And they told him while playing this game that he was under arrest for stealing things. He and his wife worry about whether or not their daughters will trust the police in the future. I don't, I don't even know what it's worth to not be arrested in front of your children. Like, what's that worth to you? What's that worth to you? Nobody's safe, safe, safe. Nobody's safe. Building a case, having a way, nothing to place. Made a mistake, ah, uh, ah, uh, they made a mistake, right? Simple as that, right, right, give them a break. Nah, the forecast is pure trash, it was a quarter past four. Picked up my daughter from class after DoorDash for some support. Could barely make it to the porch, flash, blue and reds, I was floored. Mess up my lawn's grass, you better have an order from the court. Sure had, show me the war and got guns drawn like a war. You would thought I had four bragging my t-shirt and my shorts. Oh man, they don't appreciate awkward humor, I'm sure. By this point, my eyesight's raw shack, I'm seeing fours. Pad. They had my prints of some sh from my passport Reporting a poor minority, living minority report Y'all mad, they said it wouldn't be till 2054 But when they pinned me to the floor, I heard them ask Are we sure? Are we sure? Alright, well, there you have it Racist AI, facial recognition, and wrongful arrests Thank you, as always, for listening now, if you learned something from this incredibly important episode, been inspired by it, or want to learn more or become involved, be sure you're subscribed to Newsbeat wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, all the apps, we're there. And of course, subscribe to our brand spanking new Newsbeat newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. It's all free. It's got all the information and it just might change your life or help someone else's. And once again, a special shout out to Silent Night, all of our guests, and our fellow purveyors of truth at Newsbeat's parent company and HubSpot partner agency, Mori Creative Studios. They help organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Check them out at moricreative.com. And for more about us, info on all our past episodes, extended guest and artist bios, and much more, visit us at usnewsbeat.com. Follow us on social networks at usnewsbeat. And you know what? If you have a moment, leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use to check us out. It helps. Once again, my name is Manny Faces. Newsbeat is produced in part by ManyFacesMedia.com. On behalf of all of us, thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon. Peace.